Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. My name is Delton. I will be your host today, and with me, as usual, is my lovely wife and yellow player, Haley. And it's 5 o'clock in Liechtenstein. It's 5 o'clock in Liechtenstein? That means we can have a beer. Oh, yes. It is. <laughs> in, uh, in central time here in the U.S., it is 10 a.m., uh, and we're about to have a brunch beer is what I'm calling it. I think that that's an appropriate title. But before we do that, welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast, episode number 123. My name is Delton. I'm your host today. Uh, my lovely yellow player and wife, Haley, over here is our amazing co-host. We, Hello. We are a podcast all about board games, card games, tabletop games, role-playing games, dice games, things, all of that sort, as well as beer, which we try to have one an episode. Sometimes we do sober episodes, and sometimes we just do coffee episodes. But today, we are going to do a non-sober episode. We're going to have one beer that we will be splitting, but it is a delicious beer that makes up for two. Because it's... To- I'm going to go ahead and read it. This is from Odell Brewing Co. out of Fort Collins, Colorado. We've talked a lot about them. We enjoy Odell's beers. This is from their cellar series. It is a barreled treasure horchata stout, a barrel-aged imperial stout. It says, a reward of hidden bliss awaits the intrepid explorer whose liquid journey brings them to barreled treasure. An imperial stout aged in bourbon barrels, this edition of barreled treasure includes bold editions of vanilla, cinnamon, and malted rice to create flavors and aromas reminiscent of our favorite horchata drinks in Mexico. Your riches awaits. Yeah, you drink one of these and you're going to take a nap, so that's why we're only having one beer to split this episode. Because one, it is heavy, but two, it is deliciously sweet. It is a very sweet, sweet beer. A lot sweeter than I expected it to be, but I don't think I've actually even had horchata. Really? I've had I've had Boar's Head brewing their borchata beer, yeah. and I've had this, but I don't think I've ever had real horchata. I need to make you some horchata. We can make a, a sober one, or we can make an alcohol one, but horchata's really good. When I hear horchata, I always think of uh, like kombucha and think it's some kind of like fermented thing. And fermenting things, I mean, obviously we like beer and different alcohols, but I don't know. I mean, we like kimchi too for the, you like kimchi. I think kimchi's good, but I don't like vinegary things, so I can't handle it as much. But we eat a lot of fermented things. For some reason, when I hear kombucha and I hear it's fermented tea, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I've had enough probiotics in this tummy. Yeah, my tummy's active enough. Thanks. Uh, so this beer is extremely dark. You cannot see anything through it. You barely get little glimpses of light around the very edges of the glass. It is the color of a marge. It smells sweet. You get a tiny bit from the rice, that malted rice, but then you get sort of that uh, that, that little bit of cinnamon with like chocolatey. It reminds me of the smell of like a cinnamon chocolate. It's very clean and not as thick as I expected. It's very much like I think of horchatas as like winter drinks, but this will be like a early fall drink. It's heavy and it gets you kind of warm inside, mm-hmm. but it's not too heavy. It's not like a Christmas beer. It's not as spiced as most Christmas beers. Yes. You know, and it's even not as spiced as most like Halloween or November stuff. So yeah, maybe like a late September, early October, this starts getting you in the mood for a fall heavy beer cycle, kind of that. But yeah, it's got a very good, clean smoothness through the mouth. It's not as thick as something like a Guinness, of course, because it's not an Irish stout, but it's not as thin as some stouts have been, or it's not as thin as a porter. So it's, a, it's kind of the perfect consistency for a stout. It definitely has the flavor of vanilla with the afterbirth of like that toasted rice. You get a little toasted rice. There's a little cinnamon there in the finish, mm-hmm. at, least the, the, at least when you swallow in that spot. But it's very good. It's very sweet. That's probably my only complaint is it's a little on the sweet end. 
which a lot of horchatas are. But it's a little sweet, a little cinnamon, a lot of flavor, a lot of delicious. It is good, though. I think Odell, for a beer company that, uh, you, you know, kind of like, uh, oh, New Belgium. For a beer company like that that distributes in big areas for being a little bit smaller company, Odell's probably my favorite of those because everything I've had from Odell has just been killing it. I mean, they really have. They've done really well. But yeah, so welcome to episode 123. We have been up to not too many things, but also a lot of things. Did we? we that got, didn't make any sense. <laughs> I know. It's fine. We got to see Andrew and his lovely wife. We got to meet them down at Prairie Brewing Co. in Oklahoma City and have a beer and chat. First time I've seen Andrew since Gen Con 2019. And his wife is my book soulmate. Yep. We basically talked about books the whole time, she and I. We are reading similar topics in that we have both been reading like World War II, Winston Churchill, Matihara biographies, but different ones, and also a lot of murder mysteries. You guys had exactly the same tastes in books, which was weird. It and really then, was. And then all three of you, because we showed up and didn't know they were doing trivia, and so Haley went ahead and grabbed a little card, and it was all like a bunch of U.S. trivia, and like because it was Fourth of July weekend, which I guess maybe we did talk about. No, I guess because we had Jesse on. And so we didn't talk about banter when our last episode was our interview with Jesse. It's been like three and a half weeks since we've recorded and we yeah. can't remember anything. It's, <laughs> it's weird, but it was like U.S. trivia and Haley and Andrew and Helen were knocking it out of the park. And I'm over here like, a duh. We got perfect no score clue. the first two rounds we were there. You guys had perfect scores going into basically the final. And then the final one, we bet you guys bet everything and like only mixed around two things. Yeah, we uh, we came in, I think, on the second. No, the third to last round. Yeah. And we did not get last place. So very proud of that. Yeah, it was pretty entertaining. And uh, it's one of those moments where the team that wins is like very small. It's so strange because we were there for the end of trivia at Rough Tail when we went with Cody and Jinwin. And that one guy by himself won trivia. Mm -hmm. And you're like, what the heck, mustache man? He looked like the kind of guy that could either be a Freddie Mercury impersonator on the weekends. Impersonator? Uh, what's, yeah. what's the term? Impersonator. That has a negative connotation in my brain. Why is that? I don't know, because you hear about somebody impersonating somebody else. That's like a bad thing. You know what I mean? Well, you like hire like a Johnny Depp impersonator for your birthday party. I guess so. He could be either a Freddie Mercury impersonator or he is a fireman from New York in like the 80s. Yes. He's just got the mustache, perfectly trimmed black Tom Selleck mustache. It was pretty funny. Uh, but yeah, we've done that. I hung up my floating shelves in the living room. I don't know if I posted those pictures or not. Uh, what else have we done? I went to the Osage Forest of Peace in you did. Oklahoma. Talk about that. So the Osage Forest of Peace is a really interesting place. It was a project by a Catholic nun in the 1970s who got permission from the Pope himself to be an ambassador to India to try to strengthen relationship between the Catholic Church and uh, Hindu leaders. And she came back and got permission to start a woman-owned Catholic Church ashram where she and a bunch of other nuns lived in Osage County in Oklahoma uh, in this like communal living space. And whenever she retired in 2008, she only passed away last year, which is crazy. When she uh, retired in 2008, it was bought by a nonprofit organization that made the Osage Forest of Peace. And long story short, you go there for either a day long or two day long, or some people like live there for you know 18 months to two years. You go there for a long retreat. And there are, most of the day, you sit in silence. You have your meals together. It's very communal. But the only thing you're expected to do is meditate, is go on uh, silent hikes around the perimeter of the facility. Uh, there is a labyrinth to go ponder. There is the Cave of Mothers, which is this 
underground. Uh, it's basically a storm shelter, but they fixed it up with candles and beautiful portraits of different women leaders and different uh, faiths and mythology and such and such. But it was a very contemplative experience. I really enjoyed it. It was very centering. I would not want to do that every weekend because that's that's a lot of silence. It was good for me, but I don't want to do that every weekend. I like to hear myself talk. That's why I have a podcast. That's why we have a podcast. You you get to hear yourself talk, you get to hear me talk, and then I get to listen to us both talk at least one more time. So it works out. Uh, yeah, you get to do Osage Forest of Peace. I want to go at some point, but that being shut in silence, I would need lots of books to read and things to work on, I feel like, to occupy my mind, because just sitting there with your mind blank, I get bored. Well, and I, I talked to a couple of the other guys there, so it was a very small weekend. It's very hot in Oklahoma in July, and you have very basic cabins, so it was a little toasty and wasn't very populated this time. And like the first, so I prepared before I went, like I've been taking my morning walks with no music. I've been trying to fill my days with points of silence. You know, I do meditation anyway before I go to sleep. That's what helps me just like conk out. But uh, I've been really preparing for this trip. And like the first 12 hours, I was like, oh yeah, I am zen as hell. I am doing a good job. This is great. And then about 36 hours in, my anxiety just went through the roof. All these anxious thoughts popped in my head. And all I wanted to do was distract. I wanted to turn on music. I wanted to listen to a podcast. I wanted to call Delton. I wanted to text. I wanted to get on and scroll on uh, Reddit. Like, there's all the stuff I wanted to do. I just felt like I was crawling out of my skin. My anxiety was high. My thoughts were just bam, 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 bam. All these anxious thoughts that I thought I had dealt with years ago. But turns out they're still there. And instead, as I, I swore off, you know, scrolling social media that weekend. Or I, I messaged Delton a couple times. That's about it. Uh, I put my phone down and I went outside, left my phone behind and just walked in the labyrinth like two or three times until the anxiety dissipated. And then it was after that, after I went through that anxious time and didn't distract and just let that feeling come and go. Yes, it lasted forever. And I thought I was going to crawl out of my freaking skin. But the rest of the retreat, the rest of the day and a half, I felt so much more at peace and I felt so much more calm. And so I'm really glad that I did that. I will do it again, again, maybe once or twice a year, but I don't want to go through that every weekend, but it was a very centering, reflective experience, and I highly recommend it if you do have the chance to go. That's really cool. Also, if you fly into Tulsa Airport and you call them and you're going to stay there, the nuns, they still have some volunteer nuns will come pick you up. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, well, you got to do that. That weekend, I spent cleaning the house massively and reorganizing and cleaning and reorganizing and cleaning, and that was exhausting, but I did it. Uh, we had Zach and Sarah over this last weekend to hang out, chat. Uh, they got me an awesome Zorro statue for my floating shelves uh, for my birthday this summer since we didn't get to see them when we were supposed to in late May. But that's really all that's been going on, uh, I guess, in our world. It's been mostly living life and kind of doing everything that I can think of. Um, I feel like we're trying to connect the dots of like 15 timelines into one story. Yeah. Because we, we've done so much over the last three weeks, and also it's been a while since we've recorded, so hopefully that all made sense. It was a good three and a half weeks, and it was also a good game we played this week. Oh, here's the door. It's straight ahead. It's, it's a game. So the game for this episode is one that I backed on Kickstarter last year in April. It came in a few weeks back, uh, and we have played it now two times in prep for the podcast because I wanted to talk about it. The game for this episode is Hippocrates. Hippocrates is uh, a game from Game Brewer. It is designed by Elaine Orban. Artwork by Laura Bevan. Project manager was Rudy Soyntjens. Game development by Seb Van Doyne. Art direction, Raphael Thoinis. 
insert design by Meeple Maker, editor Amanda Irvin, special thanks to a very long Greek name that I can't read of their board games community, uh, quality control, Eve G. Gilas, and logistics, Wim Goosens. So Hippocrates is a one to four player game, ages 12 and up, and they say 90 minutes, no matter the play count. They say 90 minutes, and I kind of feel like that's pretty on the nose because our first game was like an hour 32. Our second game was a little longer in the hour 40-some, but there were some turns where we were having to math out and sit and think. But in Hippocrates, uh, I should preface, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this little portion here. I think it's good for uh, what the game's about and who Hippocrates was historically, because I'm sure you've heard of the Hippocratic Oath uh, in medicine. Although he was born into a time when illness was viewed as a punishment from the gods to be treated with religious practices, Hippocrates saw natural causes behind patients' illnesses. Attributing sickness to poor diets and environmental factors, Hippocrates used a natural approach to treatment, relying on rest and basic medicine. But now, Hippocrates is an old man nearing the end of his life, and his hopes to keep medicine grounded in science rests on the next generation of physicians. In this game, you take on the role of a physician leading a team of doctors to heal the sick and treat the wounded while maintaining a high standard of professionalism. The player who can balance all the elements efficiently will find themselves a worthy successor to Hippocrates and winner of the game. So, as it says, Hippocrates was a doctor back in ancient Greek times. If you've ever played Assassin's Creed games, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, you actually, on one of the islands, run into Hippocrates and like help out with some quests, uh, which made me very happy, but that whole game made me very happy. So in this game, as it said, you are playing a physician. You are going to be hiring doctors, healing patients, and that's basically the gist of what the game's about. Uh, luckily, the game actually works in a pretty simple manner. So there are six different columns of six different colors. I will say my one problem I have, and me and Haley talked about this, the colors of the blue, green, and like aqua dice that they have in this game, those three, are ridiculously close together. Constantly, we're having to switch those dice around because we would place them in the wrong spots constantly. Yes, it's very annoying. Um, th th those colors are off, so just be aware if you have any kind of uh, color blindness or issues with uh, differentiating colors, and it's that blue-green range, I think you'll have a problem with that, but that's really the only place it comes into play in the game. So that's not terrible, but it's still annoying and frustrating. But the way the game works is in those six, first in those six columns, at the bottom of the board, you have uh, three rows in, those, in each of those six columns. You have three rows of different patients. So there's three red patients, three purple, three green, three blue, three aqua, three black. And on your turn, in the random order, someone will pick one of those columns to take a patient from. You're basically welcoming, welcoming them into your doctor facility. I don't know why I can't think of that. Into your place of work. And to your house of learned doctors. They're in your house of learned doctors. So you can heal them. The one you can take is determined by the dice. So when you roll the dice, each of those colors has a dice. And the dice can either be a one, a two, or a three. Which is the top is the one, the second guy is the two, and the third guy is the three. So if you go to the red column and the dice is on the two spot, you can bring in that person there by that two red die. Uh, depending on which one you go to depends on turn order for the next basically draft or whatever selection of patients. And you're going to go through that three different times. There are some special tiles that allow you to manipulate the dice, whether you're moving it from a three to a two or a three to a one up and down, uh, swapping two different dice between two different columns. So taking the one from black and moving it to the three, uh, one of blue and moving that three from blue to the one uh, three of black. So that way, if you want the blue column, you're actually getting the one, not the three. There's some things like that. 
Um, and then you'll take all those patients. You'll do that for three rounds, potentially getting three patients, depending on how you play and what comes up. Then you'll take money. Those patients will pay you because you're healing them. You're a doctor. There are other bonuses dependent upon where those patients are, costs, benefits. You know, gain a coin, but lose one reputation. Or lose, uh, gain, what is it? Spend four coin and gain four reputation is the bottom of, I think, the aqua color. So once you do that, you, hi- you pay your doctors. You start off with one basic doctor, Hippocrates, and you pay for him based on your reputation track. And I like it because all the doctors have different specialties, and Hippocrates has all three. He's basic at all three. Yep, and it fits. Uh, then you go to recruitment phase where you hire new doctors. You have the option for some doctors where you pay a little to reserve them if you want them later or if you can afford them later. Um, so that's pretty neat. So you can potentially hire two doctors, but you get to hire doctors, get the medicines, the vials. There are three different vials. Now I have the Kickstarter deluxe version. So I have like the game insert and the vials aren't just like, I don't know if they're just cubes in the normal game, but they're basically these little neat looking vials. Um, but you get all that stuff. Then you treat your patients. Uh, the way treating patients works is, I think, one of the interesting things in this game. Uh, one of the more interesting things, because the doctors are hexagons. And three of those sides, basically the three sides, none of them touching, have a little bump out. And they're called their contracts. And each of those three sides can have a medicine there. So Hippocrates, for example, has one of them showing the blue vial, one showing purple, one showing green. That means patients, they have notches on either side of them. They can slot onto that doctor. So if the patient needs a blue vial, or let's say two blue vials, and Hippocrates can offer blue on one of his sides, you poke that person there, and as long as you have the two blue vials of medicine to put on them, they're considered treated, which means you will get points for them. Once a doctor has treated everybody they can, which means a patient has been completed on all the available, you know, one, two, or three spots, then that doctor will then be fulfilled, earn you points, and he will go away, and you won't have that doctor anymore. So that's pretty much it. Then you add up your points and you do that four times and then the game's over. What's really neat is that the, there's different colors. So there's different uh, basically columns, color columns of patients. Yep. And they all represent different areas of the actual world. Yeah, that's what I was going to pull up right now when you started talking about that because I found that to be really interesting too. Uh, so yeah, there's six different colors. You've got red for Macedonia, blue for Alexandria, purple for Carthage, uh, the like aquamarine color or whatever is Athens. The green is Persia. And the black is, I'm going to pronounce it Cyrene, Cyrene, Cyrene. Is that Syria? It might be the ancient Syria. I don't know. But uh, so what's neat is all the people depicted on them are very like a similar outfits, similar like facial structure, culturally, ethnicity. They did a good job uh, not only splitting up between doctors and patients. It's male and female and old and young. And the ethnicities seem to fit for historical of that region. Now, obviously, I don't know super detailed. It's very stylized. So things are going to be, you know, not perfect, obviously. But they did a good job with that. But it is neat that you have these different cultures. And then the different cultures, which means different colors of doctors, have a specialty. So one doctor, uh, one, one stack of a country, all they can do is single blue. Or all they can do is blue. I guess it would be single blue then some other countries can do blue and purple together, or some do green and blue together, or green and purple. And the doctors are all split that way, so sometimes it comes down to that, and it kind of pushes you to also get the different cultures in, which I think kind of shows some of the intermingling of medicine. It doesn't matter where you're from or who you are. You're being healed. You're being treated by a doctor from somewhere. So I kind of liked that. Looking at it that way, that's probably more than what they meant for it, but that's kind of how I take it, which is good. 
but that's really the gist of the game. It's like it's one of those games you sit on the table and it's massive. Especially the uh, the Kickstarter deluxe version I've got has a bigger board that they did more space for. Now it's it is set up so the other side is ready for an expansion uh, that they're going to put out at some point. But it's a massive board takes up so much space. But once you set the game up and play, it's not a hard game to play. No, it's basically just resource management and planning. Exactly, and I'm very bad at both. I'm very good at both, which is why I won both times. You have won both times pretty much handedly. Uh, now, I did have a great turn the second game where I'd healed like three people and had all this stuff. It planned perfectly, but then I was broke with no medicine, and <laughs> it's just brutal because on your turn, you're taking anywhere from one to three patients, likely three, and if you don't heal those patients, they move into your emergency room. So first they come to your little you know place, then they move down on your player board to your emergency room. If you don't heal them the next round, they move into the Hall of Hades, so they've died, and they are minus three points per patient at the end of the game. And I had 12, minus 12 points last time, and it was brutal. I am wondering what they're thinking for the expansion, because like you said, they've already built the board for an expansion. But I think you no know, uh, a neat little expansion component, which would also be horrible and terrifying, is that random points in the game, you get somebody randomly into your emergency room. And so oh. it kind of incentivizes you to keep your emergency room open at least for a space or two. Yeah. And also to collect um, additional resources, too. That's true. That's very true. That could be cool. I'll have to look up and see what they have planned. We could house rule that. We could house rule that. Make our own expansion. Right. Blackjack and hookers. One of the things that I enjoy about the game is uh, whenever you're recruiting doctors, you can either recruit a doctor by just paying the money, or instead you can buy uh, potions, basically the vials. You can buy the blue, yellow, or purple. Sorry, blue, green, or purple. And you can do one or the other. Or if you can do both, it has to be from the same column. And if you do that, you get a bonus tile that can be anything from an instant five coins or an instant three, you know, green vials. Or you get this one-time ability that if you take in a patient from, you know, the teal color or aquamarine color, you get a bonus that round by alone of like extra points or extra money or extra vials or something like that. And then you can even turn those in for vials if you need. So it's really simple, but there's enough things going on that you constantly have options of how to math things out, which is where the last turn yesterday came down to us going, all right, if I buy this guy, I have this much money. If I sell this potion I don't need, I'll get two coins. If I take those two coins and trade this potion with one coin, I can turn it into this potion. And you're like mathing out, trying to heal everybody, and you just can't, and it feels bad. <laughs> yeah, the first game, I lost one patient. Little old man. And my second game, I lost to a pregnant lady and a little boy. And I'm like, mm, I'm so sorry. Yeah, that's three. It feels... Why well, no, the first game. <laughs> no, no, no. I was making a joke. A pregnant lady and a little boy. Uh, making a joke. Oh, that's three people. man. Sorry. I thought that was a funny joke. Um, it's, it's hard. It's hard when you're trying to heal everybody and doing so good. And then all of a sudden, you're like, I'm one short. I'm so sorry. That's how it was that first yeah. game. I was one resource short of this little old man. I'm like, I'm so sorry. He went to Hades. <laughs> well, the good thing is Hades is just the afterlife. So it's fine. That's true. I think. But he probably still had stuff to do. He's going to haunt me. It's fine. Everything's fine. But it's nice. The game is uh, straightforward, honestly. It's pretty simple compared to what I thought it was going to be. Uh, and I like that. I'm a fan of that. The, the designer is one of the designers behind Twa, which I talked about. I really love Twa as bad as I am at it. So I expected something more complicated, more complex. And when the Kickstarter ran, I saw what it looked like, kind of saw what they talked about. And I was just in and didn't really like dive in and watch played videos because I find that those don't really help me judge if I like a game that much. Um, but I really, really enjoyed the game. I think something to keep in mind is if you want to try this game, 
I think that you can try it online somewhere, or maybe if your shop has it, something. But if you play one of the four rounds of the game, you've played the game. You can play a single round and know exactly how the whole game's going to play out. And I've seen some people online say that that's their criticism, is that you play the first round, and then the next rounds just copy that. There's really no difference in the rounds. They all are the same pattern with just different people and different options. But it's the same thing. But I also like that about it because you immediately know this is where we're at. Here's where I'm starting from. Here's this and that. And let's go and try to maximize. It's not like you're starting from a clean slate each round either. No. Like you might still have doctors carried over. You have patients moving to your emergency room. And so even though the plays the same, like this, there's the same structure from round to round, all four rounds. Yep. You'll have doctors that carry over, patients that carry over, resources that carry over, and that allows you to plan maybe a round or two in advance. Exactly. And some of the patients as well get coins on them if they're not taken, so they're paying more money. Uh, And then the reputation track is basically turn order. Uh, There's the welcome track, which is turn order when you take patients. So there's all kinds of things that work together. But all in all, though, I've really enjoyed the game over the two plays. Like, I want to play it again. I think this is one that's it's at just the right level of complexity that you could take someone who's playing games but hasn't dove into, like, if you want to experience them to experience heavier games, this is a great segue. It's like the perfect middle ground between, uh, what's, the, what's the term, like, family and, like, strategy. Yes. For the, I guess for an easy way of putting it, it's the perfect middle ground where it's like, you're not going to overwhelm them with something ridiculous, but it's not going to be something as simple as, like, Ticket to Ride. It's a good middle spot. Yeah, it's going to take a little more planning between rounds. It's going to take a little bit more of, like like we said, the resource management side. Yeah. Because there's different resources to manage, whether it's the getting the right doctors, getting the right medicine, getting the right money, da 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 da, da. But it's not something as overwhelming as other resource management games. Like, I would say like Agricola. Agricola is a little more resource management yes. heavy. Yes. It's not that intense. And you can also make it less intense by taking the opportunities to not take patients. You know what I mean? If a patient's gone and the, the dice are rolled, and a die goes, and let's say it's the two of black, and the two of black was taken the last round, the last, you know, of the three drafts for that, that turn, basically that big phase. Um, if you go there, there are options when you go there, instead of getting the reward while taking a person, you can just get three coins or uh, your little bonus, you know, a bonus marker and a potion or a potion and a point or a reputation and a potion, something like that. So you could minimize the patients you're getting. However, you're not going to get as much money that way, potentially, but you can minimize the number of patients you get, which will minimize how much you have potential to lose. And it's, it's, it's weird. Cause we're still trying to find the balance. Haley's done really well balancing out and maximizing. I have a hard time. So I think I'm going to have to like change up strategies next time again, and just try new, new and different things each time. I am a Harvard medical school. You are, but yes. Uh, so that's Hippocrates from game brewer. Uh, it should be in retail stores already. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where they will sell it online, but from what I understand, it will indeed uh, and should already be out on the market for you to purchase. I recommend checking it out. And like I said, if you have an opportunity to play it, play one of the four rounds and that'll give you the, the a full idea of if you like the game or not. I think that that's a great example because um, there's other little small rules that aren't difficult, but yeah, that's pretty much that. I really enjoyed the game. I'm very glad I backed it. Uh, and it's one that I will uh, definitely recommend to people if they want that nice middle ground of a game that's not too long, not too short, not too easy, not too hard. If it's right there in the middle. Four thumbs up. One of the things that this game does do, because I was, I'm always concerned when a game says one to four players, uh, because solo gaming is something we don't do. 
But solo gaming always requires some sort of automation within the game, or sometimes it has some sort of dummy player to keep the game going right. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. And so the topic of today's episode is dummy players. So Delton, how are dummy players presented in Hippocrates? So, dummy players can be presented in several different ways across different board games. Uh, Whenever we say dummy players, that's essentially an automated player that is trying to simulate the actions of a real player to affect the board in a way to make the game tighter and more competitive for a lower player count. The best example of this I can think of uh, right now is Root, because Root has literally a whole algorithm, basically, that there is a mechanical, uh, uh, there is a, you know, version of one of the players that comes out and every action it does is has listed out based on the status of the board and it simulates somebody else playing the game to make the game tighter and more competitive. Hippocrates approaches this in a much lighter, simpler, and honestly, it's like a really well-done way to do it for the style of game. So when you're welcoming patients in Hippocrates, you have a turn order. If you're playing with less than the max four players, there will be either one two, or three other player colors on both the turn order, the welcome track, and the reputation track, which is turn order for recruiting doctors. So if it's Haley's turn, she gets to go first. She puts her, you know, little thing down and picks her patient. Then if it's, let's say, one of those dummy players, they, all the patients have numbers. They pick the highest number that has a dice next to it. They take that column. That person comes off. Their reputation adjusts accordingly. And that's where they went. So it eliminates choices. So being first in the player order matters in this game at lower player count. Because normally it's just, oh, it's Haley and then me. Cool. Haley, then me. Cool. Oh, hey, I get to go first. Me, then Haley. Cool. But this time, sometimes it's Haley and then a dummy player and then me and then a dummy. And then maybe after that, it's me and then a dummy and then a dummy and then Haley. And so now her choices go from six that's potentially three patients gone. She's down to three more options. And if one of those was already gone, it's on a blank. That's two patients. So it can really tighten the game down. So I like the way Hippocrates presents it because it does just limit your choices and it does it in a way that you can see where it's happening. You can look at that track and go, I'm going to get to choose, or I guess I'm going to get to choose third, but the first two people are dummies. They're going to pick the higher two numbers. There's the higher two numbers. I know right now I can't pick those because those are going to be gone. And you're able to plan a little bit. And even though it takes a choice away from you, you can see what choice that's going to be. And I like that. I like that you're not completely blind about it as if it was another player. But at the same time, since it's all random placement, random numbers, random spots, random dice, it's still pretty damn random. Yeah, and I like it because, I know I've talked about this in the past, I kind of like having a wild card or having things, like having wrench thrones in my plan because it makes it more interesting. Because I, I like and I dislike games where there's no random element, it's basically solitaire, because then you can plan your turn in like three turns in advance, then you're kind of bored. Well, with something like Socrates, I'm not Socrates, Hippocrates, <laughs> there you go. Hippocrates, you know, having, I, I can theoretically speaking, you know, plan my next three turns in a round, but if I have to wait for a dummy player to take a patient, or I have to wait for two dummy players to take a patient, that can really throw a wrench in my plans and it keeps me from being able to plan too far in advance. So I have to think more quickly whenever my turn comes. Yeah, that's very true because you can plan a little bit, but then it changes things. 
Yeah. And I think it keeps it more interesting because as much as I like planning games and I, I do enjoy like multiplayer solitaire games and resource management, if I can plan too far in advance, it just starts to get boring. Yeah, you have to have some sort of challenge. However, did you feel that way with Food Chain Magnate? Because that, that's also a hell of a game, though. It was a lot to keep up with, but yeah. I mean, I told you, I think I said it in the podcast, too, there are times when I plan three or four rounds in advance. Now, it's yeah. still difficult. And there's still a lot to manage. Yeah, and I could throw that off depending on how I and adapted could, the board. And Yeah, depending on what card you drew. But I mean, that's there were times whenever I was bored for mm-hmm. two or three rounds because I already had my... My, my hands played or my, my yeah. turns planned out. But this one, and not to say that Food Chain Magnet was boring. It was not. Yeah. <laughs> it was a lot. And I enjoyed uh, Capitalism, the board game. It was fun. It was a heavy topic, but it was really fun. But with this one, it's less likely that you will get bored between turns because you can't really plan too far in advance. Or if you do, you have to be open to the fact that you're probably going to have at least one of your plans change. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's part of what what makes a dummy player uh, beneficial in a game, right? Is a game like Root, is, it's that wild card that keeps things more interesting than just me versus you. In Hippocrates, it's that wild card that's removing patients or removing option doctors or removing the other doctors that you were going to have a chance at, now you can't. So, Because that's the thing with the doctors is you don't see them until right before you're going to recruit. Then they flip over and you can go, oh no, that's the one I wanted and he's got the highest number shit or oh no this one over here she's the one i really needed but now she's gone like and you're just upset about it but it throws that wrench and it makes you have to think on your feet so that is very good there are lots of games that do dummy players um i know the first one i ever encountered which i have is was a little micro expansion for power grid called robots and you make these little robots that have three pieces and it's the three different ways they act in the three main phases of the game and that's a way to throw wrenches in change the bidding up things like that the Uh, one that i loved was Sushi Go. Uh, Sushi Go was where it wasn't at the... Every time you take a hand, you put one thing into them and one thing to you. Yes, whenever you're playing two-player, you have like that that dummy pile. And I love that so much because when I got my tonsils taken out, I my IQ dropped by about 45 points due to all the pain medication I was on and how yep. much I was in pain and not sleeping. And so all I could really do all day was play Sushi Go. So anytime somebody stopped by to say hi or to see how I was doing, like we're going to play Sushi Go for the next 45 minutes. And so I really enjoyed having that dummy player too. It does. It just helps change the game up. Uh, I have a little Reddit thread here. I've been trying to find lists of games with dummy players. Uh, somebody says Mage Knight has a great dummy player. Mage Knight, I have somewhere in this house. Uh, there are dummy workers in Sulkin that help keep the two-player game from just being solvable, it says. I don't remember how the dummy players worked in Sulkin. We've only played it the once. But I know that there were dummy players in Sulkin, and we didn't have a problem with them. Uh, some people like Dummy Player in Seven Wonders. I don't know that we ever used the Dummy Player. No, we never have. We've just played it normally. I think there's an option of it if you play like a two-player version, which is why they came out with Duel. Yeah, and I just play Duel instead. Yeah. Um, At the Gates of Loyang has one for Solo, but I've never done that. Um, let's see here, Glenmore, but I've never played G- Glenmore. Uh, Ginkopolis. Are we just starting to learn all the games we've been playing wrong because we haven't been doing the the Dummy Player with two-player? Uh, I mean, it's a lot of dummy. I don't know if Ginkopolis does. Cause I don't remember having a dummy player for Ginkopolis. Do you? I don't. Which could mean there's not one, or we played it wrong. That's also very true. Either way, I won. Either way. But there's a lot of games that have it. I'm trying to find more. Uh, it says Takedo um, has one. I don't remember what that is. I don't think we've used that. Dungeon Lords, which I've never actually got to play, even though I've always wanted to. But there's a lot. I know that I'm missing, like, a ton of different ones, but 
So tell, they're pretty common. Tell me, what do you think about dummy players? What are your pros and cons of them? I think if dummy players are done well, that it is fine. And by done well, I mean they don't interrupt the flow of game too much, and they don't just act so super chaotically that they make the game not fun. Because something like Hippocrates, they're really simple to understand. It's because it's not truly a dummy player. It's almost just an extra mechanic, right? Simple to understand, simple to, Im- to implement and play out, and simple to see what's going to happen because of it. It's simple to carry out. I mean, it's so easy in that, right? But then you have something like Root, which I've never used a dummy player. I've just looked through some of it. And Root is a little more complicated, right? Then you look at the dummy player in Oath, and Oath's dummy player is like this giant sheet with this worksheet grid, and there's a lot. And it's like just understanding that enough to play with it feels like it would be too much at times, right? It seems daunting. Yeah, it's like I already have to make all these thoughts for myself, but now I have to not only try to make the thoughts for the dummy, but they can't be my thoughts or else I'm playing it. So I have to read this thing and it has to be all mapped out like a computer program based on different inputs of how it's going to then output its action, right? That's a lot. That's a lot to keep up with. And so for me, that's part of the reason why I never really play with dummy players unless we feel the game needs it. But when it's something as simple as uh, something as simple as Hippocrates or... I'm trying to think of another simple dummy player, uh, whatever it was for Sulkin, the little dummy things that block up spaces and stuff, like nice and easy peasy, cool. I understand this, I see what it's doing, and it's easy to implement. So for me, it's about implementation, I think. I don't want to have to work extra hard after learning the game, teaching the game, then trying to play the game. I also don't want to have to try to manage a whole other player outside myself, at least maybe not until I'm familiar enough with the game to do it. But... That being said, again, if it's implemented well and easy to follow, I think dummy players can be great because it can. It can take a game that's normally not great with two and make it good for two. If Hippocrates didn't have the dummy players, it wouldn't feel nearly as stressful watching those doctors flip over, looking at the numbers going, okay, I have third pick here. There's two people in front of me. One's dealt and I think he needs this. The other's a dummy player. It's going to be the highest number. I hope it's not this one. Like it adds that element of please don't take it, please don't take it. Uh, and I like that because if that wasn't there and it was just me and you, I would take one thing and you would have free reign. You know what I mean? So I, I think that it works really well for this game and it works well in other games as well. We just don't use it often enough for me to rattle off a whole list of like 30 games with them because there are a lot with it. There really are. And so, you know, if you're playing a game that uses dummy players, you know, you can also replace them with a toddler too, I've learned. Yeah. <laughs> just have them throwing wrenches everywhere. He's throwing wrenches everywhere. Yeah. Really, I think that the dummy player mechanics are really good because, again, I think it makes the game more difficult. It keeps you on your toes a little bit more. But, again, that's what I like. And I also understand if people don't like that, if they like to be able to plan turn by turn by turn or really have that human element of I I know what Delton's going to play versus I know what Haley's going to play or pick. But for me, I really like that randomness. I really like to be on my toes. And so that's why I really like Hippocrates, and I'm really ready to play it again. I think that something you said there, I was I was going to just let you kind of in that and be a good little segue of done with the topic. But uh, something that you said there was that human element. And I think that that's where uh, I think that's where sometimes the dummy players can go wrong mm-hmm. is when a dummy player has to take an action and you go, they would never do that based on the cards they've now taken because of their rule set. Why would they ever do this or, right. you know, in the X, Y or Z? And I think that that's part of what when a dummy player sometimes can be seen as bad is when it's making decisions that make absolutely no sense because then it's throwing, yes, it's throwing a wrench in things, but it's not throwing a logical wrench into things. It is just a toddler at the board moving pieces around. And you're like, all right, this is a challenge, but this isn't the challenge I want. 
Just to add on to your little thing. Now we can segue. Wee! And now, join us for a Malt House Games podcast special bite-sized question. So, coming out of that, we're going to move to the question of the episode before we wrap this up and get ready to play some games with the friends. Uh, the question for this episode was from Haley. Haley, do you want to in- introduce it? What was your weirdest reason slash what was your weirdest doctor's visit? Like, what was the weirdest reason you've visited the doctor or what was the weirdest doctor's visit you had? I think we all know yours, Delty. Uh, my, well, I guess it depends on what weirdest is, but I'm going to say my weirdest one was the fact that I had to get a second vasectomy because that's not super common. A vasectomy. A vasectomy, as you always said. Uh, yeah, yeah, going back after the first one didn't take on one side and had to fix that. That's just a weird reason to go to the doctor. In terms of actual weirdest doctor visit was definitely the first vasectomy when you go in and you just got to drop trowel and, <laughs> you know, just lay on a table while there's a doctor and a nurse just doing stuff. And you're like, all right, this is weird, but, you know, they're used to it. They make you comfortable. They talk to you. Vasectomies are buy one, get one free. They really are, but not the anesthesia for the second one. Woo! Woo! What about yours? I think mine was my fight with a pineapple can that led me to get stitches. She cut her hand open on a pineapple can after getting the lid up. I did, and I, I like sliced it, and like I couldn't look at it, and I just looked at Delton, and I said, I can't look at this. I have to go to the doctor now. And like we had curry on the stove, and our friends Zach and Sarah were coming over, and so he says, okay, what do I do? I said, watch the curry, and I wrapped my hand up in paper towel. Didn't even look at it. was not going to. I just knew it was bad. I drove like a mile and a half down the road to the urgent care, and they was like, what are you here for? I said, I cut my hand. They said, oh, no. And they brought me in, and... uh. You know, they took my weights and everything. And at this point, like, I'm in my, my jammies and, like, I have my makeup off. Well, I have on, like, shorts, but I'm in, like, a jammy shirt. And, like, I'm not, I'm not cute. I'm, I'm ready for the day to end. And I'm sitting there waiting for the doctor. And the doctor comes in and says, hey, are you here by yourself? I said, yeah, I drove myself. He goes, oh, okay. Well, uh, we're going to need your parents' permission. I was like, what? And he goes, yeah, we're going to need your parents' permission. So long story short, the doctor thought I was Delton's cousin's kid. Delton's cousin's kid was 16. I was 27. Yeah. <laughs> I was 27 years old, sitting in the doctor's office. They're threatening to call my parents. And first of all, I was like, well, that's a HIPAA violation because you shouldn't be name dropping someone else's uh, people. Yeah. Uh, second of all, I'm 27. I said, well, no, I'm 27. And he said, wait, who's your parents? And I said, not Josh Brack. <laughs> I said, that's my husband's cousin. And the nurse, like, whacks the doctor and said, she's married, too. That's funny. Yeah. So I ended up getting my stitches that day and got home, and everything was fine. I never had to look at the open wound. To be fair, too, I didn't just say, what should I do? I said, I can drive you to the doctor and turn the stove off. You said, no, we have to finish food. Friends are coming. Yeah, <laughs> that's you, true. you made me stay home instead of driving you. I did. Well, I was fine. You were. You were all right. Curry took priority. Curry did take priority. And we had curry, and it was delicious, and I got stitches, and it was fine. Everything was good. And no blood in the curry. (laughs) Yeah, because I just didn't use that can. (laughs) I was like, well, this is getting thrown out for a minute, not doing that to friends. Well, I think that that's going to finish up this episode 123 of the Malthouse Games podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. Uh, First, I want to give a big shout out to our amazing Patreon patrons. Thank you so much to Allison, Alan, Jennifer, and Cliff. Thank you for supporting us on the podcast, uh, supporting us on Patreon at the level in which you get shouted out. And thank you to our other supporters, past, present, future. Those who don't support at the level of the podcast shout out are still amazing supporters for us. If you want to be like them, you can go to patreon.com slash malthousegames. If you want to check out our website, malthousegames.com has some more info about us. I try to keep it updated, uh, you know, but things happen. And then if you want to head to shop.malthousegames.com, you can buy a t-shirt with our logo on it. 
uh, because that's basically what we've got on there. Uh, aside from that, if there's a game you want us to talk about, a topic you want us to cover, a question for us to answer on the episode, or a beer you think we should find to talk about on the show, you can always send us an email, contact at malthousegames.com, or you can follow us on all social media at Malthouse Games, and you're able to send us a DM on there pretty much any time, and I will get to any of it as soon as I can. Uh, I did want to shout out a couple things here. I talked about getting Hippocrates on Kickstarter. Well, we have two friends that have games on Kickstarter at this moment. Uh, Absurdist Productions that had their game Paleo Vet we talked about last year, the dinosaur game that we were really excited about. Uh, I know I announced that they had launched their Kickstarter last year, and then they ended up canceling it because it didn't fund fast enough. Uh, they have revamped everything, put it back on Kickstarter. It funded, I think, within 48 hours. Uh, it is still there now and there for 24 more days as of the time that you'll hear this podcast. So make sure to go to kickstarter.com slash paleovet uh, and check that out. Uh, and also, I know I shouted it out last episode, but from Strongbox Games up in Tulsa, they have Mantle of the Keeper. It has 13 days to go as of this episode, and they are almost to their funding goal. I think they're probably at the like 90 to 95% funded mark. So go check that out. If it looks like something you want to back, throw them a dollar, throw them a full pledge, whatever you feel like doing, but make sure to go and check it out and see what it's about. Aside from that, I think that's everything. I'm going to go take me a shower and get set up for game day. Uh, finished my beer. Need to drink me some water now. I got to go on a beer run. You're going to go on a beer run? I think we got some things to do. So thank you for tuning in and listening. Uh, we will be here in two weeks with another episode before we go to Portland. Oh, yeah. I think that's the right timeline, isn't it? I think it is. So we'll be having one episode and then we'll go to Portland. And then uh, we will have stories when we come back. And hopefully, maybe for our Patreon subscribers, we might have some extra content. Uh, we'll see what I can swing. But until next time, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. We'll see you folks later. Goodbye. Bye.